Hi, everyone. I'm Amelia Quint, and I'm here with Jessa Crispin for the latest episode of Bad Astrologers Podcast, where we take a deep dive into the cultural, spiritual, literary, and mythological world of the heavens. We've been doting on our amazing patrons lately. We love each and every one of you. Just this past week, we released our first bonus episode, The Dadpocalypse, which explains what happens when Saturn, Pluto, and the South Node all line up in Capricorn, just in time for the holidays. We'll also be doing our first live Q&A for our Juno Queen of the Heavens tier patrons very soon, where you can ask us a question about your individual birth chart. If you've wanted our eyes on your stars, this is a great way to make it happen. So if you love listening to bad astrologers and this sounds like your cup of tea, consider heading over to patreon.com slash bad astro and support our work. Another lovely way to support us is by leaving us a review on iTunes. The more positive reviews we receive, the more iTunes will share our work with fellow mystically minded people, which is always a good thing. Or follow us on Instagram for astrological analysis of our favorite art shows and lots more pretty star-inspired goodness. We're on Twitter too, both at Bad Astrologers, and we love hearing from you. Now, back to the episode. This week, we're starting off a new series about star sign stereotypes. With all the memes out there, there's a constant stream of assertions about how each zodiac sign behaves. For example, how cancers never stop crying, or that Scorpios are all serial killers. But how accurate are those rumors? Luckily, Jessa and I are here to give some cultural context to what you've heard, busting a few myths along the way, and in some cases, confirming that a few signs live up to their legends. We're kicking things off with the Earth signs because, as we discussed, they're easy to make fun of and probably the most likely to take it in stride. Not only that, they're sensual, smart, and totally enviable, too. So sit back, relax, and join us for a wild chat about what Taurus, Virgo, and Capricorn are really all about. All right, so today we are going to talk about earth sign stereotypes. So we've been thinking about doing an episode on stereotypes in astrology for a long time because sometimes it feels like all of astrology is just stereotypes, but it's more than that and it's beautiful and it's deep and we want to help people see the the myths and the legends and the spiritual um, stories that that run through it, um, while maybe having a, a laugh or two about the tendencies that we all have that can be a little bit silly or completely out there. Um, we're splitting it up by element because we want to make sure that every sign in the zodiac gets plenty of airtime. Don't worry, we will effectively roast you all in time. So. Earth signs, <laughs> you're up first, um, in part because um, by the time this goes out, we'll have our um, bonus episode on the dadpocalypse, which is Saturn, Pluto, 
and the south node in Capricorn. It's super earth energy. All the energy right now is earth. Obviously, it's still Virgo season. Um, we got Mars in Virgo, and it's a little overwhelming. So we need to unpack what earth is all about and maybe lighten the load a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> So, Jessa, tell me, how do you think internet culture and the popularization of astrology has mm, maybe added or maybe dispelled stereotypes about each zodiac sign? Oh, well, I think, well, obviously there are different levels between... Uh, meme astrology uh, the sort of Instagram things of like this is how a Scorpio takes a phone call versus, <laughs> you know versus how a Taurus takes a phone call you know yep. women drive like this anyway so uh, that I think is the sort of biggest perpetuator of um, of these stereotypes because it's just an easy way to make jokes and probably it's just because we can't make fun of women anymore <laughs> so, right <laughs> it's not PC but it's still PC to make fun of uh, it's still PC to make fun of Gemini's mm -hmm. I mean I so I want to ask you as somebody who write who uh, wrote monthly horoscopes for so long how did you navigate writing things that were short and to the point, but not relying on stereotypes. Cause I always thought that you did a good job with that, but that's tricky work. So how conscious of that were you? Very, I thought about it a lot. Um, so the approach that I took was actually to not think about it as sun sign horoscopes at all, because I don't know, that would have driven me up the wall. Um, not that all solar astrology is bad, just in my practice, I tend to value the ascendant um, a little bit stronger as far as the house overlay situation is concerned. So I just imagined that I was writing for everybody with that ascendant, and I had faith that my audience is super smart, and they're going to know their ascendant, and they're going to read the one that's right for them um, anyways. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, like partnering that with the sun sign, I also wanted to... I tried to make them general, but also specific enough. So taking a really holistic approach to what each sign means and providing lots of options, right? So mm -hmm. uh, if someone's having a second house transit, I sort of had little catchphrases that I would rely on, you know, like the second house. I said it was the house of self and net worth um, because mm -hmm. it's really about value. So it can be valuing yourself in your job or valuing yourself in like, I don't know, like giving yourself uh, a present or something that you feel that you really have to deserve and earn. So yeah, just like parsing out those layers of meaning and never letting it be to one note. Like I just, I tried to envision in my mind the individual that's going to pick it up and say like, is this going to be meaningful to them? Or is it just like something really vague? Like you're going to feel totally healed and transformed by... This full moon, like every single thing that I write, I'm always asking myself, it, you know, is there an answer to that question? Like, okay, you're going to be healed and transformed, but like how? I should be able to say how. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> so where should we start? Should we start with Taurus, I guess, the first, since we're already talking about the second house, I guess we should just dive right in and start with uh, Taurus, which... Uh, my, I have Taurus rising, so I feel a lot of the um, 
stereotypes of the Taurus experience are, you know, pretty pretty silly. But um, yeah, what about what about you? What's your relationship to Taurus? Oh, that's a really good question. So I am super excited to hear what you have to say about Taurus because my relationship to Taurus is like kind of non-existent. Like I just don't understand the energy. So I have a pretty mm-hmm. intense uh, Sun-Pluto conjunction in Scorpio, um, which is opposite Taurus, obviously. And like for me, Taurus is empty in my chart. So it's just mm-hmm. something that I feel like really disconnected from. And now that I'm having... Uh, Uranus opposing my son. I'm learning very quickly um, how to contend with it, and I'm I'm ready. I'm ready to learn. <laughs> I yeah. I I honestly, you know, every astrologer has their bias about which signs they have an affinity for and which they don't. Taurus to me is the best sign, and I'm sorry that I feel Ooh, that way, but I do. Okay. And the fact the fact. The fact that I don't have just every single planet in Taurus makes me mournful because Aww. I feel <laughs> I feel like it's like this ultimate sort of Daphne du Maurier experience and she was heavy Taurus but of just like running through the fields to meet your pirate lover as you burn down your family's <laughs> estate like it's very that that's Taurus to me and I just wish I could live that experience every day uh and uh alas I I do not (laughs) so I'm right there with you honestly I get I get so envious of Taurus people mostly because I have everything in mutable science and they're just so embodied right there's this like general comfort with like pleasure and and being a human in a body that I just see I'm I'm over here like I don't know what to do with my hands I can come up with great ideas I'm like (laughs) how do I sit in this chair without like falling down on the ground um so yeah I really admire that any and also any Taurus rising person I've ever known is just like gorgeous like they all look like those like odalisque paintings where it's like all just like fabric and body just like draped on things you know i don't understand Mm -hmm. how it happens but it's this is a lovely thing (laughs) yeah yeah um so yeah i taurus to me you know i spent i spend some time every once in a while at on a dairy farm um because i just find it very restorative (laughs) i i don't know why but this has happened now three times where i'm just like fuck it i'm going to a dairy farm and then i just go hang out there but I love to watch cows because to me that's very Taurus. I've just they're just bodies, and they're contemplative, uh, and they just want to lie in the sun and eat the grass uh, that's nearest to them, so they don't actually have to get up, and just like you know <laughs> lean their body against another body. It's beautiful. I love it. So that's that's to me peak Taurus, but we should talk about the stereotypes of Taurus. I feel like we're getting off track already. No, it's fine. <laughs> I got so excited about Taurus because I love it so much. I'm like, let's talk about it. I'm just like, yes, tell me all the good things about Taurus so I can understand. Okay, so the stereotypes we got on Instagram about Taurus are that they are basically money-hungry luxury zombies who like mm-hmm. only buy scented candles en masse. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and also very stubborn. I hear that one a lot with Taurus that, um, that, that that's one of the primary, uh, stereotypes. It's stubborn and they don't like change. Mm -hmm. Um, which 
I know a lot of Taurus people who are, you know, myself included as Taurus rising, uh, who really enjoy change and tumult and chaos. We, you know, it's just, uh, it just doesn't sort of ring true as what Taurus is about. Agreed. I mean, I feel like being Taurus is more like a state of mind than actually like expecting everything in your life to be fixed. Like the Taurus people or the Taurus type people that I've known, whether they're um, Taurus rising or like Venus and Taurus, um, they're sort of this like oasis of groundedness, even though like crazy shit might be happening around them constantly. They, they are uh, very much self-possessed um, and, and an island unto themselves. Well, yeah, so they're Venus. So Taurus is a Venus sign. Um, and I like, well, so Venus um, traditionally rules two signs because um, it's the basically the first heavenly body you can see in the night sky. Uh, and it's also the last one to sort of blip out in the morning. So it's the evening star and morning star. Uh, and evening star is the sort of Taurus manifestation of it, which is mm-hmm. um, the body and pleasure and money. And, you know, but as you were talking about with the second house, it's ultimately sort of about what you value. And I think people who know what they value and are very clear on that tend to be deeply grounded, rooted people because they that's a way of um being able to discriminate between this is right for me and this is wrong for me um so people that have a, a you know positive good second house experience or a good taurus experience that is sort of what their lives become rooted in is just knowing I value honesty or I value money or I value God or whatever. And through that, everything else kind of flows for them. That is so beautiful. Again, I'm so jealous. The Sagittarius rising in me is like, you picked something and settled on it. Like that's, I don't, (laughs) I, I physically can't comprehend what that would be like, but I think it is incredible that there are people that's the, have that like whole guiding force. I was also, you had mentioned Taurus being stubborn and I hear that a lot, but what I I like to Mm -hmm. tell people about that is like, don't confuse like somebody being stubborn for like someone that has a backbone. Like, I think what you're saying is that like, yeah, Taurus people, they know what they want and they have a backbone about it. And other people who maybe don't have as much of uh, conviction about their wants and needs and desires, like they feel threatened by it and therefore Mm. just say, oh, they're so stubborn, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, some of the, you know, Cher is a Taurus for fuck's sake. (laughs) (laughs) That's somebody with some clarity. (laughs) That's true. Very true. Uh, When I think about Taurus as the sort of pleasure sign, like even more than Scorpio, I think, um, the Taurus that always comes to my mind, and my favorite Taurus is Trent Reznor, easily. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he's he's up there for me, too. Mm Mm-hmm. 
He likes a candle, though. He once said that his candle budget for I think it was a downward spiral was really was really intense. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, that makes me like him more. I'm just like imagining the music creation process with candles everywhere. Wow. Yeah. I don't he's, know if they were like dipsy candles back then, um, but yes, maybe. Yeah, maybe it was just Target. Somebody did a Target run. <laughs> you got to do the Target run. <laughs> for the downward spiral. <laughs> <laughs> I love a Target run, and I'm not a Taurus. There's, there's something deeply basic in my chart that we're going to have to like unearth what it is. <laughs> maybe over the next several stereotype episodes, we can like discern what it is. Again, in the Taurus spray, you just have to own it. You got to love it. So it's... So mm-hmm. no one, no one can take that from you. Um, yeah. So <laughs> this is a bit of an inevitable question. I feel like Scorpio and Taurus sort of vie in the the meme astrology for like which one is the horniest. Do you have an opinion mm-hmm. on that? Do you feel strongly? Um. I well, I think Sagittarius is the horniest, right? I mean, am I oh, am I wrong? Oh, maybe, think that maybe. Uh, <laughs> it could be, uh, or it's just that Sagittarius has like um, shiny object syndrome. So, like, well, I want some of this. I want some of this. They do, it, you yeah. know. Sagittarians do it with even like what they want to have for dinner. They're like, well, I'll have some poke, and then I'll have a pita and whatever. They just want to have their cake and eat it too. Even though that's supposedly yeah, I, a Taurus thing. I feel like uh I feel like Scorpios when they're horny, they always have like a uh a strategy or a uh, some ulterior motive going on of Ooh. like I'm seducing you because I'm waging a longer campaign. I don't know. Right. I'm married to a Scorpio, but you know. No, uh, it's very funny. There is usually yeah. some kind of like deep dark like there's been a lot of thought put into it whereas i feel like taurus is maybe more just the materialist yeah just wants a body on top of a body yeah Mm -hmm. fair enough yeah so i feel like one of my favorite things about taurus that's not talked about enough is taurus its contribution to the world of camp because all the great camp artists have been taurus including John Waters. Um, And I want to talk about that a little bit because I feel like it's um, uh, that sense of humor and wit that Taurus has about things like beauty and luxury Mm. and money um, often gets left out of the conversation. And I think it's such an integral part of it is just like, just because, um, you know, we're in this very consumerist culture, obviously, um, and just because you can't afford a diamond doesn't mean you can't make one out of trash, <laughs> like uh, John Waters or, or you know, like the uh, John Cameron Mitchell who did Hedvig and the Angry Inch, um, these sorts of things. Like it, there's a big Taurus streak through, through camp, through drag, um, and I think it's beautiful and it should be celebrated as part of the Taurus experience. Absolutely. I love that you brought up Taurus's sense of humor because they do have such an amazing sense of humor. Like they're really comfortable with things that are very body 
And like when they're mm. making the joke, it really lands. It doesn't seem, you know, inappropriate or like past any line. They just make it seem like the most comfortable thing in the world because they're so comfortable with themselves. And I think mm-hmm. like that's the beauty of, of drag and of camp is that just that level of comfort with oneself can help other people gain comfort with the idea too, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, should we move on to, uh, to Virgo or do we have any other Taurus, uh, stereotypes we need to vanquish or, or no, should we move to Virgo? I think we got them all. So yes to candles, no to stubbornness. That was, yeah, <laughs> that's the takeaway. Maybe, okay, cool. maybe the people that are worried about the, the candle stereotype of Taurus, they just need to like listen to some Trent Reznor and feel the candle energy <laughs> and go on a target run and and just get it out of the system that way. I think that's what I'm going to do after this. You've planned my evening. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. So Virgo, you and I have a lot of thoughts about Virgo because we're kind of like yeah. super Virgo. Yeah. It's a little out of control. So I have... It's a little out of control. <laughs> I have Venus and Lilith conjunct my midheaven in Virgo. Mm -hmm. And you have what? Moon, North Node, and Mars in Virgo. And a shit ton of asteroids, yeah. We both have a lot of asteroids. I have Zeus, Osiris, and Panacea all together, so do with that what you will. Yeah, Christ. Um, Yeah, I have have what? Odysseus, Penelope, Circe. I have a lot. I have, I think, Urania. She's either Ulysses. My moon or, yeah, Ulysses. Ulysses and Penelope conjunct my moon mm-hmm. in Virgo gives me a lot of issues, but we can talk about that later. <laughs> <laughs> we should do a whole episode on asteroids because I have a lot of thoughts. A lot of thoughts yeah, to share. Yeah. Um, um, but yeah, so we have a lot of Virgo experiences. Yes, we know that the Virgo struggle is real. I feel like... Virgos are more like readily accepted and sort of loved by everybody, but they do like have a lot of really negative connotations. So yeah, um, post-punk diva wrote to us and said that they have a Virgo moon and that um, people with Virgo moons are hypochondriac or neurotic folks who um, just have adjustment issues. And I don't think that's true Mm -hmm. at all. That's, not right as a virgo moon would you like to dispel that (laughs) yeah i've never had hypochondria um i guess i get it from the sixth house health stuff Mm -hmm. and like i do know some neat freaky virgo people who are you know a little heavy on the uh antibacterial uh lotion (laughs) but um but other than that uh yeah, you know, I'm one of these weird uh, Virgo moons because the stereotype is cleanliness and fastidiousness, and I I just don't have that in me at all. I have I can now see like three different tuxedo jackets that I own that are like laid all, all over furniture in this room. <laughs> like, I'm really not I'm not fastidious about uh, about much. It's the Taurus rising. It like helps you mellow out. Maybe I'm not sure. 
Well, which is it that it has me have a tuxedo jacket addiction? I just bought another one and it needs to stop. But anyway, we'll talk about that in another episode. But, we will. Uh, That's yeah. the Venus and Leo talking. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm absolutely certain of it. Only a Venus and Leo would be like, oh, I already have two tuxedo jackets. Do you know what I need? I need a third one. Like <laughs> I have one in purple now. I needed one in purple. I didn't. Oh, that's that. cute. I like the purple. <laughs> I, I, I didn't even think. I, I being the Scorpio that I am, I assumed that it was going to be all three black ones because that's my closet. It's just like varying shades of darkness <laughs> <laughs> and red. The occasional red blouse for a good measure. Well, maybe that maybe that's a Scorpio stereotype that we need to tackle so that you will be freed from it. That's right. Um, so that we only wear shades of darkness. Yeah. But, I mean, obviously, like, Virgo has all this stuff about sort of, you know, white, like, clean countertops, scrubbed out bathtub, um, you know, everything organized and in its place. I have no idea if Marie Kondo is a Virgo, but I would assume so, just based on, you know, um, actually, my own Virgo stereotypes. Let me check on that. I'm pretty sure she's a Libra. Is that right? Oh, yeah, well, that she's a sense. Libra. She wants everything to be harmonious and balanced in the home. But big Virgo energy, if I've ever seen it. We don't know her rising sign. It must be Virgo. Um, But yeah, so what, which of the Virgo stereotypes do you feel like you least associate yourself with? Ooh, um, I think the sort of repression stereotype that we're all like not just sexually but just in general like that we are all fuddy-duddies or like so prim and proper that we don't know how to have a good time or even like hold down a conversation um to the contrary like a lot of the heavy virgo people i know have like the sharpest like most acerbic wit of of anybody um and they're oh, sure. willing Dorothy to sort Parker, of like, for fuck's sake yeah <gasps> really oh that's per- see yeah. proving my point i love it yeah but i virgos are not uptight at all they are efficient um they can take any sort of big swath of disparate like data or just like a huge pile of pictures and like make the perfect collage or find the patterns in it. Um, Mm -hmm. That, that sort of fastidiousness, like when applied to their work is definitely real. They're like data wizards or something Um, and excellent editors. Like they know exactly what needs to stay and what needs to go. But like Mm -hmm. kind of like with the Taurus, like don't confuse them having standards for like being uptight. Right. Mm. Yeah. Maybe everybody else just needs to raise their standards. <laughs> <laughs> Very uh, Virgo energy right now. Yeah. <laughs> yes, definitely. No, it's a problem. I, I mean, that does sometimes jump out with my uh, Venus midheaven and Virgo situation. But Venus does soften it a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. One thing that I um, was looking at was... Um, the idea of repression with Virgos. And I noticed so many sex folks who are sex symbols are Virgos. There's a billion of them. There's like among the women, like Sama Hayek, Sophia Loren, Zendaya, if anybody's watching Euphoria, Fiona Apple, because Crimin- Criminal was amazing. Um, and then among the men, like Chris Hemsworth and Keanu Reeves. So it's not that they're not sexy. I think I've heard that before that like, 
Virgos are, I don't know, just really unpleasant, not unpleasant to look at, but just plain, plain, I guess. Sure. Um, But that is absolutely not true. They're just very uh, distinguished and they definitely have their own brand of stuff. I definitely think it comes with like all of the folks that I mentioned, they seem to be very, I mean, and rightfully so, it's weird to have people objectify you, but like very reluctant with their sex symbol status, like parts of it make them feel like uncomfortable or they're just like, this is a really weird phenomenon that's happening. But yeah, it does not represent any sort of like lack of connection to the sexual drive or just, I don't know, being a person. (laughs) So I... I said something on Instagram about uh, whether or not Virgo people felt that it was more ruled by Mercury or by Vesta. And overwhelmingly, people said Vesta. Um, And I think that that's an interesting thing to talk about with the Virgo stereotypes of uptight and uh, repressed and these sorts of things. I see it more as about sacrifice than repression in the sense of Virgos know um, what not to pay attention to in order to have a better focus on what's important. Um, Mm. And the idea of Vesta being the keeper of the hearth, um, the fact that in her temple she had virgins tending to the fire, but the reason for that, and so, you know, then that sort of cascades into uh, the contemporary and uh, the history of the nun um, in the Catholic tradition of being willing to sacrifice part of yourself so that you can keep something sacred so that it can retain its importance and centrality in your life. Um, Mm -hmm. And to me, that's such an important part of the Virgo thing, which is I'm too busy to deal with these other things. I am focused on this uh, something else. And what that thing is going to be is obviously going to be different for every Virgo afflicted person. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But you can sort of, you know, you can sort of tell um, who's willing to sacrifice what and what the focus of attention is. Like Virgos are not people who feel like they have to have it all. They're not one of these people, you know, writing these essays in the Atlantic or whatever. Like, can women have (laughs) it all? Like I have a family and a children, you know, children, husbands in a minivan and a high paying job. And I travel to Europe and I do, you know, it's not it's not that experience it's selective yeah i think that is absolutely true and that's especially been my experience as someone who has like the venus midheaven and virgo too um Mm -hmm. i'm definitely like you we only have so many sort of burners on our stoves so to speak and at some point something's got to go and sacrifices have to be made if you want to have the energy and the time and the effort to put towards something good. I think the conversation that I've been a part of most with this, and I wrote an essay about it, um, is that I don't want to have children. Um, And for Mm -hmm. a long time, that was something people, oh, you'll change your mind. Or 
um, yeah, you'll have kids and then your life will have meaning and you'll understand. And it's like, no, like I purposefully don't want this because I want to be able to give everything that I have to um, my work or my art or my marriage. Like I, I am just one finite human and I know that that wouldn't be the right choice for me. Not that all Virgos are not going to have children, but I've definitely heard stories. Obviously, Beyonce is like the ultimate um, Virgo that people probably know most about. And she's talked in multiple documentaries about um, just the sacrifices she's have had to make and continues to make to be on the level that she is, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think, you know, part of the Virgo Vesta thing is just knowing what is uh what's sacred to you and what can go so Mm. yeah with uh you know it and it depends of course it depends um on which of your planets are in virgo if it's your sun if it's your moon if it's your venus whatever um but there's always it's going to tell you i think a lot about what you hold sacred and um and what you don't i feel like with me having mars in virgo to me work is just it's just sacred like it that that's the thing that i just don't sacrifice anything for Mm. uh or that's the thing that i do sacrifice everything for sorry but uh but yeah it that's the thing that uh will not be moved in my life Mm -hmm. that's so interesting i think we kind of share that since I have the Midheaven and you have the Mars. And for me, it's like doing work that I love. Like there's no compromises Mm -hmm. on that period. Like there's nothing that can make me, you know, compromise that period. Um, Yeah. And I think that's the earth energy shining through, you know, Virgo is a mutable sign. And so it does have a little bit more fluidity. Um, and you see that in sort of the ability to move between spaces and um, do the sort of quick um, pattern recognition things. But yeah, the earth is is really there um, with the, the constancy of Virgo um, and being able to identify. I love the way you put that, like what you hold most sacred. Yeah, I mean, you know, we're talking about earth signs, but you know, I think it's important to remember that just because our contemporary society chooses to um, express earth energy in these very, I would say, limiting ways right now, um, Mm. mostly to do with uh, money and consumer goods and work, you know, labor kind of stuff. That doesn't mean that there's not something... Um, spiritual about the earth signs um, that doesn't mean that there there's not meaning in it you know when we and I think particularly when you're uh, when we're talking about issues of capitalism of uh, economic inequality there there can be a tendency to just be like well the material world is bullshit. It's correct. Right. Whatever. You know, <laughs> bring on, bring on Marx, whatever. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that there are different ways and ha- to express these energies and they have been expressed in different ways throughout time. And just because we're in a particularly shitty time doesn't mean it's always going to be like that. I don't think it'll be shitty forever. 
Well, we'll see how the dad apocalypse goes. <laughs> <laughs> Not long now. The Krampus eclipse is only a few months away. Just y'all wait. Is there any other Virgo stereotypes we did not cover that you want to talk about? No, I think we got it. Like uh, sterility and uh, perfectionism and uh, and uh, repression. Yeah, I think I think that's the. Uh, it's in, it is interesting though that like uh, with Virgo, there there are very few. Um, good stereotypes or quote-unquote good stereotypes Taurus at least gets you know slutty um right. which I think is good uh but I say, that's not really a bad thing at all like only yeah so it's it's great but uh with Virgo <laughs> the stereotypes are like uh they're almost exclusively negative and I find that I find that a little interesting but we can move on to Capricorn we don't have to talk about that Okay, that's fine. I mean, I think a lot of the, and maybe this is just the nature of Virgo too. Sorry for the Virgo takedown. Um, it's like <laughs> a double-edged sword or like a backhanded compliment. Like, oh, you're such a perfectionist, right? Like yeah. it could be taken as a, as a takedown or as a compliment. Um, mm -hmm. But that's okay. Virgos are sassy like that. We'll just accept that that's the way it is. <laughs> All right. So Capricorn. Neither of us has Capricorn, right? Like neither of us has any. No. So this is. Oh, I have Neptune and Capricorn. That's it. Oh. Oh right. Yeah. The the generational thing, but um. But nothing but, like uh, major. Yeah. Pure purely theoretical conversation about Capricorn. So if we get it wrong, uh, <laughs> please please let us know. <laughs> Write to us. Tell us what's it really like to be a Capricorn person. Yeah, DM us. We're we're open. We're water signs. We'll we'll listen to you. That yes. So what the, I believe there's only one Capricorn that DM'd us a stereotype, and it was um, mm -hmm. Kim Newdorf, and they said um, Capricorn as emotionless robot, um, which first of all I think yeah. is so well put, um, and secondly, yeah. There was uh, one other, which was Cameron uh, messaged us that uh, Capricorns are CEOs. They think of themselves as CEOs. They oh. want to be CEOs. They only fuck CEOs. And that's definitely the sort of uh, aspirational side of, of uh, the Capricorn stereotype, which is, is real. Yeah. yeah. I feel like all Capricorn horoscopes are written like, dear boss bitch, you are going to be yeah. a big boss today. Uh. You know, fucking yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's a little much. So, as far as the like lacking emotions, I have a lot of thoughts on that. Mm -hmm. I feel like I I will go ahead and say I am married to a Capricorn rising, so I have like a little bit of expertise in in um, the thoughts, feelings, oh. and life experience of of that. Yeah, same, same. Uh, oh, okay. Married, married to a Capricorn rising. Yeah, <laughs> they're great. They're yeah. wonderful. I adore Capricorn they're rising the people. Best. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But as far as the emotions, so what I have seen in also Capricorn Sun people, there is this like intense ability to compartmentalize and or do mm -hmm. whatever needs to be done. It's like emotions are just like secondary. It's not that they aren't feeling them. They just have this like. Um, damper switch that they can put on and they're just like that's it 
and then and then there's like a delayed emotion thing like later um but yeah it's like part of the efficiency thing they're also very efficient about emotions you know capricorns are very people talk about the practical side it's like you're gonna be smart with your money and make a lot of big bucks or something but there's like an emotional practicality to capricorns um where they're like well like why would i worry about that like that person doesn't have what i have and they're obviously just upset so like they can just go do their own thing um yeah so yeah the emotional practicality thing does not mean that they're an emotionless robot no, I find actually that Capricorn people tend to be extremely sensitive, but they work through it rather than, you know, doing the cancer thing, uh, which is what I do, which is uh, crying in the bathtub or <laughs> on the floor, in the kitchen, in front of an open refrigerator. Like, in a vehicle, you know, uh, on public transportation. Yeah. They're, yeah. they're like, what do I need to do so that I'm not feeling this anymore? Let's do it. Yeah. Or yeah. yeah, that's my that's my. I have a, I have a lot of Capricorn friends. Um, <laughs> I I Me seem too. to collect them, um, and they're it's an they're an intense folk, and I enjoy their company a tremendous amount. Capricorn folks are, you know, they are as driven as people say, but like I think the things that drive them are as varied as the individuals. Like not everyone is like. I'm going to become a CEO, like kind of similar to Taurus. They know what is important, less of like what they value, but more of like what they want to accomplish and they'll do anything Mm. to get there, like move heaven and earth to make it happen. Oh yeah. I mean, it's a very sort of, uh, the life as a project is the, I think the best thing that I take from my Capricorn friends is that Mm. they really do see, their lives as this ability to contribute something and to accomplish something. And so minor setbacks, which again, make me cry on the floor. They just kind of, yeah, they just kind of absorb it. And it's like, well, in five years, I'm not going to be in the same position. And so I can learn from this and build on it. You know, they're, they're very, they're, um, they're the practical ones of the zodiac. Mm-hmm. With Saturn as the sign's ruler, since Saturn is the you know Roman god of the harvest, like I feel like they have a really good appreciation for the cycle of feast and famine, um, mm-hmm. and not like how to weather that both materially. Like they're always sort of stockpiling things for a rainy day because they know even if things are going well, there will be a rainy day because the world goes in cycles and is imperfect. Um, And also they know how to enjoy themselves when it's time to feast. Right. (laughs) I mean, yeah, it is associated with the devil and the tarot. So, and the, the horned goat. Uh, can I tell you my favorite uh, Capricorn story illustration of yes. of this, which is uh, my Capricorn friend, uh, who I Andrew, who I I love unconditionally. I would just like to say that in advance. <laughs> there was a grocery store sale, fifty uh, percent off pasta, all the pasta, uh, nice high quality Italian imported pasta. So he Ooh. rented a car. And bought a hundred boxes of <laughs> pasta to put in his pantry so that he could enjoy <laughs> pasta in the years to come. Like, it's 
wow. it just hits everything. <laughs> it hits it hits harvest. It hits practicality. It hits long term thinking. To me, it's the ultimate Capricorn act. Uh, is to go to the store when there's 50% off the high quality pasta and just spend, you know, $150 on it. <laughs> what a beautiful story. $150 dropped on pasta. I mean, that's a good investment, though. I love Andrew so much. He sounds like a wonderful man. Also, it seems like with all three of the earth signs we've talked about, there's this emphasis on quality. Um, oh yeah. Whether it is like high quality pasta or just quality experiences, they are not willing to sacrifice the quality. Like they will, they'll show up. <laughs> no, they're very good at discerning. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I think that one of the you know, be, you know, and we talk obviously more about this in the bonus episode about what Pluto is doing to Capricorn right now. I think the sort of loveliest impulse in Capricorn is the idea of passing something on um, about mm. inheritance. And I think that in our stupid, stupid culture, we think of that in terms of money and property, but it's also just, a, it can also just be about wisdom. It can be about uh, um a sort of safeguard of the environment around you mm -hmm. um and but that's the loveliest thing about capricorn is this willing to willingness to um think about what comes after them um because i uh i think that that's not really valued as much as in our culture other than the money and property stuff, thinking of generations to come, thinking of the actual impact that we make. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that's to be um, remembered about Capricorn. Yeah, I don't think it's talked about as much. And I think that's so beautiful. Um, you know, obviously, with Saturn being wisdom and you know responsibility like what better way to do that i mean the in uh capricorn also aligns to the 10th house which is um where your midheaven most likely will be and and your legacy like that is what you leave for people after you uh you know have moved on or gone it's what, what you're building right and mm -hmm. seems yeah. capricorn is hyper aware of building something like i think we are reducing capricorn a lot when we say they're the ceo because from the capricorn types that i've known it, it's so much deeper than just like wanting to sell a business or wanting to achieve a particular aim like you don't you know, you don't know the real reasons behind why someone is making those decisions. Like maybe they want to make an impact on the environment or on their local community or just shore up uh, things for their family so that they'll be just a little safer. Like it, there really is a protective impulse with Capricorn that's. Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. Not condescending. Like it's very genuine and nice. Sometimes it's a little condescending, but. It can uh, be sometimes. <laughs> But most uh, of the as time. I know for all the times that Andrew has rolled his eyes at me when I've been telling him about my latest adventure, it's a little condescending sometimes. Capricorns <laughs> have a serious eye roll, you guys. It's, it's a little deadly. much. <laughs> <laughs> 
I mean, I know, yeah. I know. We can't all be the, you know, the wisest one in the zodiac. Some of us have to go sow some wild oats while you guys are prepping for your feast and famine. But whatever, you'll get over it. <laughs> yeah, we love you anyway. It's okay. So Capricorn, I w- there's this other side of Capricorn. I think I, I posted about this on Instagram a long time ago. But I'm really interested in Capricorn as the devil and there's all of these famous rock stars that are Capricorns. So Jimmy Page oh, sure. from Led Zeppelin, Elvis, David Bowie, Marilyn Manson. They all have that sort of horned god appeal for better or for worse, um, depending on the situation. But yeah, I'm, I still am struggling to figure out like where that fits within the Capricorn narrative, but it's totally a thing. Well, it's, you know, it's Saturnalia. It's um, yeah. it's the uh, pleasure in the harvest, I think. Um, you know, and, and if you're if you're a rock star, sometimes your harvest is groupies. You know, I <laughs> that's true. I I would just like to officially be on the side of the groupies ex- and the groupie experience. Like, I know that that's now we think of sex and love only in terms of power dynamics but uh and so now we're negative to groupies let groupies be <laughs> let let them have the ple- the enjoyment of it you know like anyway that's, that's no i totally understand i think you know any do what thou will right any sort of experience that you want to have go out there and do it the the venus of virgo in me is like what groupies but honestly like if that is something that gives you pleasure like do it reap your harvest and in yeah physical reap your delights right yeah yeah just check ids for ages and you know and you'll be fine <laughs> just be responsible i feel like capricorn <laughs> is like hyper response they're they're pragmatic and hyper responsible about the fun that they have though like they're the ones that are going to put like the water and the aspirin beside the bed before they go out and have like a completely debauched situation yeah yeah and bless them for it yeah i know we could all use a little more of that in our lives we could so earth signs did we cover it all i feel like we did a pretty good job uh, I, you know, there's always going to be some lazy joke, uh, about one sign or another, but, uh, I feel like we dispelled, uh, some nonsense today. We did. I think we did a good thing for the internet. Fingers crossed. Only time <laughs> will tell. We fixed the internet. You're welcome. <laughs> you can thank us later. <laughs> 